Welcome back, dreamers. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Limerick, and today's episode has a movie at its center that I will guarantee most of you have never seen. So strap in, because this one is a doozy. As we've stated in our last two episodes, the 1970s were an unsure time for Disney in the wake of the death of Walt Disney in the 1960s. Until this point, animation had been seen as a children's media form, and the campy live-action films appealed to a family dynamic, but Disney was aware that they had yet to tap into the teen and young adult demographic. The Watcher in the Woods was one of several films produced in the late 70s and released in the 80s to tap into this demographic. According to This Weekend horror contributor Tracy Allen, unfortunately, the public was not made aware of this change. So seeing a Disney label was enough for them to believe a movie would be wholesome and trustworthy. The initial viewing on the television during the 8 p.m. time slot on a Tuesday did nothing but prepare them for the spooky supernatural tale that they were about to view, leaving children and adults alike scared and a bit mistrustful of the Disney name. And this was in response to when it got a mass release on television years later. The Watcher in the Woods is a 1980s American supernatural horror film directed by John Huff and Vincent McEfty based on the 1976 novel by Florence Engel Randall. The film tells the story of a teenage girl and her little sister who became encompassed in a supernatural mystery regarding a missing girl in the woods surrounding their new home in the English countryside. Producer Tom Leach pitched the project to Disney executive Ron Miller, stating that this could be our exorcist. <laughs> I know how that sounds. Brian Clemens adapted the novel into a screenplay. However, Disney decided that Clemens' version, which featured a different conclusion than the novel, was going to be too dark and threatening. So they had Rosemary Ann Sisson revise it. Miller recruited John Huff to direct the film after seeing his previous movie, The Legend of Hell House, with Rhodey McDowell. Yeah, it's a little bit different than the Disney movies of today. Principal photography for Watcher in the Wood began in August of 1979 on a budget of approximately $7 million, which would be about $40 million today, but $7 million to do a good horror film, that's not a lot. The film was shot primarily at Pinewood Studios in Buckinghamshire, England. Huff used several locations that were also seen in Robert Wilson's The Haunting, most notable the Grand Mansion, which John Keller's character lives. This was the same house used for the filming. The shoot lasted a total of 12 weeks, and during the filming, producer Ron Miller would often intervene to tone down intense scenes, leading to unhappy compromises between him and all the filmmakers. While we have movies like Witch Mountain franchise with a supernatural suspense element, this would mark the first journey of Disney into the horror genre. As casting began, according to director John Huff, casting the role of young Mrs. Aylwood was complicated since the character was featured in two separate time periods. Betty Davis had already been cast as the older Mrs. Aylwood and was considered for being played both the young and older versions of the character, but after working with a makeup team and screen tests were completed and viewed by the crew, Huff was concerned about Davis playing the younger character and felt that the makeup and hair had maybe knocked off 20 years, but not quite 40. Davis was 72 years old at the time. At the end, Huff cued for the crew to leave the screening room and said, Betty, I don't think you've made it. And after taking a long drag of her cigarette, Davis replied, you're goddamn right. So British actress Georgia Hale ended up taking the role as the younger Mrs. Aylwood. 
In casting the lead part of Jan, Diane Lane had been the initial choice, but she declined. The part eventually went to Lynn Holly Johnson, who had gained attention in the U.S. as a professional figure skater, as well as her acting role in the movie Ice Castles in 1978, which had garnered her a Golden Globe nomination. Now, 11-year-old Kyle Richards, who played Ellie, the youngest sister in the film, had previously worked with Huff on Escape from Witch Mountain in an uncredited role as the younger version of her sister, Kim Richards. Yeah, actually, it's that Kim Richards you're thinking of. The housewife? Yeah, Disney to a housewife. I don't know how that happens. This is where the controversy starts. The film's original intended ending featured an appearance by the glowing, growling watcher who was a skeletal insectoid alien who picks up Jan in the chapel and disappears. At this point, the two are seen flying across an alien landscape to the, the watcher's crippled spacecraft. And inside, Karen, the missing girl, is trapped in a pyramidal prison. This ending can actually be found on YouTube, and I highly recommend you pause right now and go watch it. I'm also going to put it on our Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pod. So this version was scrapped and had a second version, which literally just led to Jan's brief cryptic explanation uh, to provide closure of what we had seen in the original version. Now, this conclusion of The Watcher in the Wood was nearly unintelligible as a result, thus giving the film's reputation of not really having an ending. So there was a third ending, a version of that, that made the mass release as well as the eventual home video release. The Watcher in the Wood had a limited release showing at New York Ziegfeld Theater beginning April 17th, 1980. Initially, the studio had planned to expand the film's release to about 700 theaters by June of 1980, but there was an overwhelming negative reaction from the audience and critics, and the film was pulled from the Ziegfeld after only 10 days, and all the rest of the screenings were canceled. The negative response prompted Disney to undertake massive reshoots, and which would cost almost another million dollars, and in its place, Disney re-released Mary Poppins. The film would be re-released 18 months later on October 9th of 1981 after extensive reshoots and the addition of that third ending and a daring promotion that featured the quote, Walt Disney Productions ushers in a new decade of motion picture entertainment with the following invitation to spend 90 minutes on the edge of your seat. Uh, yeah. I hope you're laughing like I am, but it's, it had to have been pretty dynamic at the time. The re-release was regionally staggered. During its original 1980 run in New York City, the film grossed about $40,000 uh, before it had been pulled because of the responses. It was re-released then in October of 1981 to about 240 screens where it only grossed $1.2 million during its opening weekend it would go on to gross about $5 million domestically without an international release. Rakesh Stayal from Vulture Online had this to say, The ending of the theatrical re-release version, now the official DVD version, is so abrupt that we feel the entire movie was just a fever dream. And that's what The Watcher in the Wood feels like now, the specter of some long-ago mixture of stark images that was initially delivered to us as too impressionable in age. But that might be one of the great lessons of rewatching it now. 
some of the things that scared us the most as kids can at least become something legitimately entertaining, especially if you had aliens and a whole lot of laughter. Now, stay out of the woods, and we'll be back right after this. We've made difficult decisions. And there are still more ahead of us. Two people aren't enough to save the galaxy. We need the toughest. Smartest. Deadliest allies. We need you. We need you to join us. And listen to Reignite. A certain point of view podcast about storytelling. Love. And Mass Effect. Join us every other Thursday as we fight for the fate of an entire galaxy. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. Or at certainpov.com slash reignite. We're counting on you. We should go. Welcome back, dreamers. Today, I have one of my best Judy's on the show with me. I'm so excited for you all to meet actor, director, educator, and all-around delightful diva, Jared Euskalkis. Jared, welcome! Thank you, Maddie. I'm very happy to be here talking about one of my, oddly enough, favorite films. Mine, too. So why don't you tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself and your connection to Disney throughout your life? Well, I, I am not a super fan like you. Uh, I've learned a lot from you, though, and particularly from the Dole Up in Dreams podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I've, I guess I've always just loved Disney and the, the fantasy that they made reality, be it Disney, mm. Disney World mm-hmm. or even in the... Particularly for me, as much as I love the animated features, the live-action films were always what spoke to me. I mean, b- between this and then Bedknobs and Broomsticks and, of course, you know, who doesn't love Mary Poppins? Shout out to Meredith. Meredith um, Doyle. Yay. Um, I've just always been really, really taken with what they made seem possible and how beautiful it was. And, and generally, they were very, very sweet, kind, loving films. So as a kid, when I was, I don't know, seven or eight, and this this pops up on the Disney Channel, you know, I was I was an odd child, you might say, so I was a Betty Davis fan at five. Um, but this one just really spoke to me, and it's sort of, you know, nouveau gothic horror, if you will. Of course, then there's the ending. Yeah. <laughs> Which is new wave science fiction in the weirdest kind of way, (laughs) especially for this time. Um, So I guess uh, when I approached approached you for the podcast, I had a few titles that I wanted to do. Why did this one resonate with you so much? I just always loved this film. It's deliciously weird. Um, of course, you know, my Anglophilia gets mm-hmm. sent way oh. off when you're looking oh, at a yes. English country house. And, you know, um, and I, I, I do love me some English countryside. But again, it was it was the mystery of it. And I mean, I'm a big Twin Peaks fan as well. So, I mean, it might not be a fair comparison, but that sort of unknown aspect mm-hmm. of it. Like, what mm-hmm. is this? Is the force kind? Is it malevolent? You know, it terrified me in the best giddy possible way as a kid, Mm -hmm. and it still does. But now I I tend to chuckle a little more at it when I when I watch it or share it with you know friends and things. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's this is one of those that I when um so full disclosure for everybody, Jared and I've recorded this episode before and this is our second attempt um you know cuz that's how things go, but I I had to make sure that we did this episode because a lot of what we've done in season 1 has been some of the obvious titles, some fun nostalgia titles, but I want a few of the titles to be things that literally no one has probably watched before. And so I made all of the other MFAs watch this with me. So I had like three lighting and a costume uh, person with me when we watched this. And getting it's part of this movie after you watch it the first time alone, which I, you know, maybe if you're not a, if you're a Weenie Hut Jr. person like me, maybe uh, this is not the movie to watch alone just because it is a little spoopy. But um, yeah, the best part of this movie is getting to watch other people watch this movie, I think. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I this is the first episode of the podcast that I've done where I've actually included a plot synopsis in the pre-show. Um, and it's because it is just a lesser known movie, even though this had a non-Disney remake and or a other, you know, redone in 2017, which I have not seen. We're not talking about, even though I do love Angelica Houston. I was just going to uh, say. She I is mean, lovely, uh... lovely. Um, and, you know, I even love Drew Barrymore, who helmed it. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the, it was oddly not a Disney property. And it was one that Disney didn't seem to have a problem letting go. Um, uh, but um, why do you think that... More people have not seen or heard of this movie. Well, I think part of it has to do with the fact that it was released and pulled and released and pulled and, and mm-hmm. retooled. And I don't, I don't think when all was said and done that when you look at the piece, there are there are times when you just think you no one knew what this was or mm-hmm. there wasn't there wasn't a, a cohesive vision mm-hmm. for it as fabulous as some of it is and i, I mean the it's a uh, dirt bike scene you know mm-hmm. like the fucking dirt bike scene what is that i mean i mean i guess i can chalk that up to the popularity of motocross at the time and like the growing property like or but, it was like something but in rural uk yeah, that was my thing. I was like, this seems something specifically like Sonoma County. Like, I feel like the mom is wine drunk. The fam- You know, this is just something that, like, the cute surfer-headed boys did because it's too cold to go surfing. Like, I, it's, it's something that, like, sure, maybe, you know, I, I haven't done that dramaturgy yet to see if this was, you know, if, if motocross was super popular in the UK at this point. But we're still 20 years out before the X Games. So, yeah. I mean, though, uh, Disney always, has always liked X, the X, the, like the, the extreme sports stuff. I don't know. It's weird. So, like, in looking back on it now, that seems not, like, ill-fitting. But there's something so timeless about a 1970s movie in, like, the countryside of England that, with the exception of the bell bottoms, it could happen any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this does jump between you know uh, much early before and now. Um, even though all of the 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 flashback scenes have those lovely shoulder pads that the late seventies would have had as well. Um, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> What what are the nineteen what are the nineteen forties? Some, yes, there are. Oh, I just you know what, I can't this is one that I feel like Disney has 
Now, this is a weird time, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of the show that we've talked about so far is in this, for animation, this was the Disney Dark era. Mm -hmm. Um, For the rest of the studio, Walt Disney World had opened, we're about to open Tokyo Disney, and Disneyland had been going for a while, Epcot was going to open in two years, so things were going well for them, but at the same time, Walt had been, Walt had passed away in 1966, so they had been almost 20 years at this point without Walt, well, 13, going on 15 years at this point without Walt. And so the company was lost. Um, They didn't know what to do. They were also trying to tap into a a young adult market, which to me is, it seems weird that there was no young adult market, but also looking at teenagers in the 70s and the early 80s, it was very different. So there was a gap between watching it as a kid and then watching it as a parent with your kids. Um, And Disney wasn't doing anything particularly daring or scary. And the 1960s saw the introduction of of slasher films, snuff films. The 1970s saw a giant surge of zombie and horror films. This is when we get gore flicks. Like the 1960s and 70s were when gore started. And so, you know, we have the first, I believe, the day uh, Dawn of the Dead had already been released. Um, And so you had all these things we were getting we were getting the genre that Disney was seeing if they could tap into. And so, um, you know, I think this was, you know, cause we'd also had black hole. I don't think we'd had Tron yet. Um, but they were 1980, I believe is black hole. So like this kind of kicked off with these live actions, um, the, of, of trying to do something that was for the, the, teens and college students and adults and so I can see where they're getting that where why this story appealed to that because there is an otherness to it um, there mm-hmm. is the supernatural there is the alien of it which you know aliens you know uh, had since the Martian Chronicles the aliens had been super popular and so this was a thing that I think you could you could do um, but it's still Oof, it 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 is it is hard to break down this movie and talk about, but you know they they hired someone who knew what they were doing with horror films, um, you know they uh, it was you know it is in many ways the 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 most successful aspects of some of the scenes are the spooky moments. It is it is the. It is the, the the Betty Davis looking longingly out a window to build suspense and the 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 camera panning through the woods and coming up on the girls. They're those things that, to my knowledge, from, you know, I, I consider myself kind of a connoisseur of the 60s and 70s live action films. This is not something that Disney never put on film before. No, it, it, you're right. It is terrifying when you get, and that's some of the most fun stuff, I think. That it, the most unsettling stuff is when you see them being watched mm-hmm. from the woods. Of, you know, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> so between that and then, of course, I, I know. And for your full disclosure, this is our second go at this right, show, right. rodeo. Um, we talked a lot about the scenes in the the old chapel. Yeah, which are just beautiful and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. And there's something, you know, because we have to think about early, early um, techniques. Star Wars had come out. Star Wars mm-hmm. had been released while this was being produced. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, it 
we were starting to get towards this idea of developing a special effects industry that was visual effects in this way. And honestly, it's it's hard to talk about this film and disconnect the ending from the rest of the film. So I think I kind of want to try to do that this go around because the rest of the film, we get a couple of special effects that are really actually quite I don't want to say fun, but they're quite good for the time and I think are effective. I think the mirror breaking is is one of those like classic movie moments that I think is nice. Um, anytime we get the sparkling lights, I think they look good, mm-hmm. um, especially knowing how they had to be like overlaid and done in post-production. And I think I think creating so much suspense actually is what hurts the ending of this film. It, there is so much we there's so much other between a possessed little girl and a mm-hmm. and a and an actress with we'll call her an actress we'll get into this um you know of that has future yeah who has future sight but she's you know she's an athlete she was a popular name of the time yes um and so i think there are those things that those moments is actually what didn't pay off for us in the finale because of that. And especially knowing that, like, this movie cost them a little bit of money to make and it never ended up paying off. But I think there are some really good things about this movie that that are the reason why it is rewatchable. Oh um, that include the terrible ending. <laughs> are you, wait, um, are you talking about the special features terrible ending? With yes, the, I'm talking about Ross? the special features, mm-hmm. the original ending. So something about this film for everybody, I talk about it in pre-show, it was released and then pulled 10 days after premiere. They then tweaked it. Um, they had to work around Betty Davis's schedule, which was non-existent. And work around everybody else's schedule, which is why there's obviously a girl who is not the main actress in a wig and and things. But I, it is, it's it's a there's there's so much to say good and bad about this film, which I think is why I wish it was more known because I think this is one of those cringeworthy. Mr. Like this deserved this deserved. I don't know. Um, sorry, everyone. This deserved a mystery science theater three thousand treatment about ten years ago, fifteen years ago. But I'm sure Disney would not have released. There's a reason why Disney still owns the distribution to this movie because they've been known for letting some distributions of older movies go. But this is one they still hold on to. And I think it's, I don't want to say it chalks up, but like, let, let's jump into this plot because it All right, is, let's go. it's, it's, um, that's, that's the place to start. And because, you know, we have the American family coming to, coming to, you know, and I know it was also because of where the studio was that they filmed this, but I think having it outside of a city is important. Um, and being, well, cause there is this mystery because again, this is a country that most people who have not visited Europe don't realize there are buildings older than America that are still being used. Like there are, there are townships that have existed for thousands of years. And that, that is kind of where they chose to set this. And the manor, you know, manor houses are new, even if they're, you know, built at late 1800s, early 1900s, this idea of this kind of plush manor house, it's the same thing with candle shoe. It's, it's, there's this, <laughs> Talk about another one that we need to do because I love that one. It's uh, so good. Uh, yes. The yes. Dame Helen Hayes. Um, I am holding you to that. 
Oh, we are. We are because okay. I know no one's watched it, but like they have pretty good like they have they have hey, it comes up as a suggested movie when you watch Watcher in the Wood on Disney Plus, Candleshoe comes up as a suggested film. So, you know, it's it's early Jodie Foster, Helen Hayes. It's delightful. David Niven. David Niven. Oh, the delight. The delight. Um Oh, and, so, and Carolyn Pickles and Lee. Oh, yes, yeah. it's that, the, that, the, I'm sorry. the, the, the whole cast adult cast of that film yes. is so good. Um, yes. uh, you know, uh, just character Liam acting. It's, sorry, that's I, I, I couldn't come yeah, up with Character acting in its absolute finest. Like it's well, so. But speaking of character acting at its finest, yeah. Back to um, the, the film at hand. Yeah. Can we talk about how Betty Davis really does make this movie? She does. Like, I think of all the other women who were her age at the time because she outlived a lot of the women from her era of film. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I guess chalk it up to unfiltered cigarettes and gin martinis. I don't know. They didn't work for Walt, but they work for all the women of their time. Yeah, there were, you know, there were other women that maybe from her thing but it's she's always one she's had the most interesting career mm-hmm. if if no one knows her betty davis's career they just go look it up because she's she's also kind of known for bringing some of the best performances to some terrible movies oh my like God. like that's kind of what like between the pensive stare and the eyebrows and just she brings a sense of decorum and poise to this that to this character that I think we because we'd gotten so much melodrama at this point that I think it could have been easy to make this character just a sad Mrs. Garrett from the facts of life. Yes, and she's I, not, which I really like. Um, melancholy old person shut away, a la Havisham, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but you, she's never, she's never self pitying. It's mm-hmm. never, there's ennui, but it's never just, mm-hmm. woe is me. You know, she, she's just, and you, you, the eyes. And, mm-hmm. you know, the those moments when you look at her and you wonder, you know, there, there are moments of, um, where, where it's not clear and you have to go, oh, wow, did mm-hmm. she do something to her daughter? You know, mm-hmm. that she, she is a little terrifying. Yes, and sad and mysterious, and she just she's she's marvelous, and you know the script is not great, and yet she mm-hmm. manages to to de- <laughs> to deliver some of it yeah. really beautifully, and it it gets sad when now the the younger sister um, uh, she's I think she does a great job. Yes, and, and she yeah. has, she has a task ahead of her mm-hmm. with you know like you you brought up she of course is the the, the character who is quasi possessed mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. but um, oh uh, what was uh, her name Jan, um, and I'm 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 cheating oh no not Jan Jan was the older sister Ellie, Ellie. Kyle mm-hmm. Richards, and I think she does a beautiful job, but yes. it's when you put Betty Davis together with mm-hmm. Jan. Bless mm-hmm. her, Lynn Holly Johnson. Lovely, lovely girl. Yeah. There's there's a disparity. There's just a lot of screaming and being lost. A lot of shouting. Uh, it's like watching a contemporary Arthur Miller piece. There's just a lot of shouting from the main character. Um, <laughs> we just have this conversation. <laughs> we did literally just have this conversation. Because I love that meme that's like modern actor, modern male actor. I'm just going to yell to show that I have emotion. Oh. Um, no one come for me. You can't come for me. Just don't try. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, and you know what? I get, I get. 
this is the peak of having athletic celebrities play in these movies that were not built for someone who is not an actor to be in. Because I just would like to think of, like, what a Jodie Foster of the time would have done. Someone who is an established no. actor who... You know who was cast. No, I do don't. It for, oh, yeah. Diane Lane. <gasps> Young Diane Lane. That's amazing. I mean, I, I have loved her since Cotton Club. I think this movie would be a lot different if it had have been Diane Lane. Because let's be honest, some of the worst scripts, if you have capable actors, oh. like... It it's still they can make you give a shit about a story that the writers don't know how to make you give a shit about. So like mm-hmm. it's and honestly, it was a quick adaptation of them putting this together because it was published in seventy six. Yeah. So like to put it into because like it had to shoot in uh, uh, seventy eight and seventy nine mm-hmm. um, to be ready for in April. And again, it they didn't. It didn't take them too long to film, um, and they did have to go back and refilm, but it's still one of those things of, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something. And I think the key to my discomfort with it, because all of the adults are trying really hard, um, especially you get the, the friend, um, she, oh, what is her name? Uh, the mother of the cute boy. Um, Francis Kuka, is it Mary Fleming? Yeah. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think it's Mary because she's one of the three because it's... Yep, yep. Yep, yeah, yeah. She, when she turns around and sees Jan for the first time, the, there are just so many of these things, there are these great moments where you, you're suddenly intrigued to go, oh, wait, what's happening? Oh, there's so much more to this story. Because the, the actors, I think... They understood the style of it better than the mm-hmm. the editor did. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, oh yes. Well, you could tell those the British actors had all seen uh, Woman in White. They, <laughs> they, they had you know they had all been looking at them. They'd all been in several Perot movies or um, uh, versions of Murder on the Orient Express. Oh. They're mostly film actors. Are yes. uh, th- they're mostly theater actors, and so. Again, I had this conversation in my car the other night coming back from from Disney World is that there is a difference between being a movie star and being a film actor. And like a theater person can be a movie star because they get it. And you can it's why now I will stand by this, that Scarlett Johansson is not an actress that they cobble together a performance of hers. And you can do this, you know, she's just a modern example, but you can do that when you can take 25 takes and pick your best one. And when movies, I mean, there are some actors where they will use different shots of different words and they'll cobble that bitch together and they get an Oscar nomination. And so, you know, that just shows, you know, editing, as the magic but so many of these oh well i mean it's any any british theater actor is just so good it's why they dominate the american spectrum of people we like to see in films it's 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 why bendy dink has such a crazy weird american accent but people love it or tom hiddleston i mean it's why tilda swinton is in everything (laughs) I, I, i will say this um I think Hiddleston is a remarkably gifted actor. Um, remarkably. Have, have you seen his Prince Hal? No. Opposite Simon Russell Beale as Falstaff? No, that sounds brilliant. <sighs> Jeremy Irons as King Henry. It is... Oh, um, mm. 
Simon Russell Beale can take and now now keep you know my love for Shakespeare. You know, oh yeah, unbound. Oh yeah, um, but Russell Beale makes it feel like extempore conversation, mm. and Hiddleston keeps up with them. I love that. They're beautiful together. They're absolutely beautiful together. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And you know what's really funny? There's something so Shakespearean about a lot of this script. Thank you. And the way that it's performed, it's very Shakespearean. I mean, it's very, there's there's a ghost, but we're not going to show you the ghost. Or there's a, there's something, something is afoot, and we're not going to tell you what's afoot. But the, the, the plot for me is actually there. I don't almost mind any of... The plots, I don't mind. Um, like, I uh, I always hate when they go, it must happen during the solar eclipse. And I go, okay, great, thanks. But, like, I think most, I'd say 99% of this works for me. And it really comes down to the point that, like, Lynn Holly Johnson, who plays Jan, who has a lovely look, and you can't get much more teenager in the 70s look than her. Those bangs. Um, those bangs that share straight blonde hair. <laughs> oh, God. And it's one of those, you're like, oh, honey, that hair. But then you see the wig later on, and you go, oh, okay. Someone's wig. It's the 70s. Nice wigs didn't exist yet. Um, for white girls, at least. Um but yeah, it's honestly, as far as this plot goes, there's nothing that stands out that makes me go, meh, until we get to the end. It, yes, it is. And, and and strangely, well, thank, I gotta say this, thank God they, they did the end the way they did it in the final theatrical release. Yeah. Because like I said, at least it left some air of mystery to it. Yes. But so so again, it was it was more of like you figure this out mm-hmm. because those those other two endings with the as, and I'll say it again the Lemay Wasp the Lemay Wasp oh god so yeah I just <sighs> I I get wanting to do a monster like that but like again we had just had Star Wars. Where, you know, they were figuring out creatures and things. But, like, for that for that to be the best, like, I get, you know, I guess it's because with Star Trek, which I love in Star Wars, there's always this idea of going humanoid with aliens. So, like, mm-hmm. I think it would have been more powerful if it had been, like, a lame, the idea of lame, but, like, a body that we don't see features, elongate them a little but well, like all of what they had with um, 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 uh, close encounters, yeah. When those silhouettes appear and they're humanoid, but they're, mm-hmm. they're you know they're willowy. You know mm-hmm. that's the best. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Rather than that thing that gave her a, a, a hug with his you know Liberace cape wings, uh huh. And what? And then and then the you know flight of the navigator. Sorry, I just had to say it. Yeah, but that dreadful flight to the home planet. When you go, wait, what? what? Thank God like, they improved that for Tron. 
but. Well, well, in this was you could tell. I feel like you could tell they were testing a couple of Tron effects because it's like that double exposure, double layered, color smear, flat wall, and that just alien planets were just sleek and modernist and mm-hmm. looked like the Contempo Resort at Walt Disney World. <laughs> My first hotel at five years old in Disney. Oh, well, yeah. I love the Contempo, and it still stands up. I like it. It's really great. Um, you know, and who doesn't love the Montreal? But you know, it's it it had that feeling that again, it was so of its time. Yes. Um, and because I don't think we'd gotten the first, or we'd gotten the first Star Trek movie at this point as well. Sounds I or right. uh, I'll find yeah, it. Let, let's. 1979, so the same time. So it was all filming at the same time. But even Star Trek did something, like, because, one, the Star Trek movies look so different than the Star Trek original series did. Um, And, you know, know, Star Wars, before it was released with A New Hope as the title, also looked so different than science fiction had. It was nothing like where... You know, this this felt like the evolution of Lost in Space with some mylar curtains and some gel over over the uh, over the camera lens. Like it, you know, it's one of those things they had. I would have preferred a really. I I would have rather it been like a chamber where like the body is the body of the girl is floating in this. The, and I get this whole the alien is alone, the alien is trapped here. But even heaven forbid, Doctor Who had existed for twenty years at this point. Tom Baker was the doctor. They were in a heyday. You know when you're going, when you're doing a specifically English story. Know what the the Brits because like this is in the peak of Tom Baker so like mm-hmm. Doctor Who is as popular as it was going to be until the David Tennant run and so lean into because like Doctor Who had the worst production value ever um, i.e. the yellow face in that one episode about the Victorian Chinese circus we're going to bring that up because that's gross um, but like Doctor Who, even in its chintziness, like, why couldn't it just look like the Time Lord? Why couldn't it be a humanoid alien that looked, he could even look human, make him a different color. But like, then we would understand why there was this appeal or, but again, they made him nonverbal. So they had to make him not human because we were dealing with, you know, refugee crises and world conflict. So I guess they would not want to make... They wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't want to make him relatable or white. I guess I don't know. But I'm like you. Like that took so much money, time, and effort to make that. You know, the Liberace wasp like fly and and like. It's for anyone at home that hasn't seen this yet. One, I encourage you to go see it. Well, I'll put some pictures on the Instagram when this premieres because, like, it's it's got to, and I'll do a side-by-side with a... Uh, it looks kind of like the Walt Disney World Phantasmic uh, Maleficent Dragon. It's just a head and some wings. And, like, it's... it's uh, it's messy, it's hard, it's junky, and it honestly ruins an otherwise not bad mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, well, th- and then, he, thank God they thought better. Really? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things when this and this is back when no one respected science fiction um, and even like Star Wars was reviewed badly. Star Trek was reviewed badly. We were they they were you know, this was 
thing we were in a really interesting time for film because we were only not we weren't too far into modern film but you already had like um I'm going to say this I'm going to look this up before I say it um but like the evolution of film had been going in such a crazy crazy way um that you know we had had the Kubricks of the time start making their films you know in the last 10 years we were having an exploration into the human existence um through film and this movie could have really done that and I think they dropped the ball a little bit uh, what they could have done uh, I don't yeah, so we talked about how it wasn't a critical success, and the fans didn't love it. In fact, the critics hated it. This was not a critical success. Fans didn't love it. In fact, it was pulled from theaters a week in. They edited it. They reworked it. They released it six months later. We talked about that, like, some of the script does work, and we do like a lot of these things. It feels too long to me. Um, but what are some things that, like, just don't work for you in the movie? I know you mentioned the the motocross scene earlier. What are, what are some things that just don't work for you? Honestly, uh, you know, I'm trying to think and and so much of it does. That's the thing Mm -hmm. that, you know, and especially I still look at this with a five-year-old's eyes. I don't know why this is one of those movies that will always, always, always transport me back. And for some reason, I, involuntarily put away a critical eye with this one. Mm-hmm, I know mm-hmm. that sounds ridiculous, but the only the only time, um, about two or three years ago, when I first bought the DVD, I showed it to my friend Mel, and we watched it, and she was kind of like, wow, this is, this is something. I'm like, but I love it, but I love it. Let's watch the special features. And so then we watched the mm. endings. And that's just when I went, this is really not, wow, thank God mm-hmm. they amended mm-hmm. it. Because mm-hmm. it's a mess. That that original movie yeah. was a mess. Um, you know, I, I I I think that again I have that weird uh, I have this aesthetic that I came to adulthood with, and even even my work as let's say an actor or as a director, you know, I enjoy bringing in that that heightened sense of reality that mm-hmm. that this does really well. I think it you know yeah there are moments when it crosses into camp. Oh, purely, but. I think for the most part, they've created once once they drive up that path and they they pull onto the gravel, we're in a different world. Mm-hmm. Which is why the motocross sequence doesn't work for me. Yeah, because it doesn't fit. Even with the accident and everything, there is something else they could have done. But the carnival at the same time does mm-hmm. in a way that did you see the the second the second half of the, of the new it films. I have not yet, okay. no. There's a carnival sequence in that that is wholly terrifying and upsetting, and they use some of the same, I don't want to say tropes, but mm-hmm. you know, with like that, the Hall of Mirrors and whatnot. Oh, yes. That, that in this is terrifying, and that in a very gory, different way is terrifying, but that, be, that, that it, it, ta- it, allows, it allows that heightened reality, that otherworldliness to, to cross over into, even though it's heightened reality, th- there's this beautiful crossover of the world that happens in, in the fun fair, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it, it just works for me. Yeah. Um, 
you know, yes, it's campy. Yes, it's it's overwrought at, at many times and bizarrely mysterious. And but again, like you said, that these 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 really wonderful English actors just understood how to make it work. Mm-hmm. They because they embraced the style. So yeah. you know, the only times that I find it it doesn't work is is when we go away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that style, but then again, and we t- I know we've talked about this before. I don't know that it always understands what it is. Is it a sci-fi film? Is it you know an English manor house mystery? You know, so th- so there's some uh, non clarity, but it, it, it passes quickly. So mm-hmm. I, I just I love this movie, and it still makes me feel like a, a, a terrified a five year old who is excited to be scared. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, and it's really palpable fear as well, because they're they capture on things that scare you. The thing that could sneak up behind you in the woods, those that like fearing that you're going to look in a room of mirrors and you're going to see something in a single mirror Mm -hmm. that you cannot (coughs) um, that you can't do anything about. They're just those things that I think that this does well. The river sequence. Oh, the river is horrifying. It is. It is. Well, because, like, there are very, you know, when you're a child, you have these super, the super unrealistic fears, but then you're over. This is when you're starting to develop the realistic fears. Mm -hmm. What if I drown? What if, you know, what if I get bitten by something toxic? What if someone, you know, and that moment for uh, uh, Jan in the Woods is terrifying. (laughs) I I think for me, I wish... The the idea of the three friends with Jan was introduced earlier, and we got are not Jan. I'm sorry, I'm Karen. Mm-hmm. And we met them earlier because we meet Mary Fleming very early in the film, like in the first twenty five minutes. But you don't meet Tom Colley or John Keller till the third act of the movie. Well, and and I I, I kind of love it. What they do, and this is, I don't know if this is what you're thinking or not, but what I love about, um, about, oh my God, his mom, sorry, I'm, I'm yes. I just totally lost her name. Um, what I love about her being introduced is that, um, oh God, I have to, I have to pull it up now. Oh, why am I? Uh, Mary Fleming. Yeah. So, um, his mother, that she's introduced almost as a separate entity, as a, a lovely woman from the town, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, you know, all's mm-hmm. well and good. And, you know, there's, like, the, the arch of the eyebrow occasionally, but that when it starts coming out about her part in it and her reticence, you know, reticence is too mild a word, yeah. to talk about it, you know, if, if, if we had been introduced to John Keller earlier, and, you know, um, Tom Colley, I love his reveal, or not even reveal, but that, you know, the... When, when she's in his house and seeing mm-hmm. the animals that he's helping, which is charming, you know. But as he's approaching her with the hand out and, you know, those moments are terrifying. But how could we have brought them in sooner that it could have yeah. been, you know, the the revelation would have been more exciting. I right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, but, the, you know, there I, I agree with you. I think most of my big issues are like that motocross scene just doesn't fit. No. Nope. It does not nope. fit. Um and it is, it is, again, it's a little too modern, not saying that they're backwards or that they are outside of time, but it's this idea of it seemed that there wasn't an understanding of what 
like small village life was, which is why the fact that she's the only, you know, the Karen's the only girl that's ever gone missing or has been murdered ever. Like that's, that's the whole thing is there's not crime. Yeah. There's not. (laughs) Oh, in the whole of the English countryside, which is funny considering is the entire BBC ITV, you know, exactly. Maybe that's why it didn't do so well. The BBC was like, this is our brand. How dare you? We couldn't have 40 seasons of Midsummer Murders without, without, um, uh, yeah, without death in the English countryside. But, you know, I think this village has been very quiet, and it's that moment with Karen upset everything so much that people either left or they stayed, and nothing in the village has really changed. But they um, won't talk about it. And they won't talk about it, which which I think is such an interesting trope because it's something everyone understands. adults will never tell children the real thing about things. So then when you're an adult and you're suddenly in the room with your familial adults talking shit, spilling tea, and they go, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, Auntie Geraldine's not around because she's a lesbian and she and her partner live in San Jose. And you're like, the fuck? That's why Auntie Geraldine is never around. Like... But, you know, you find that out at 32 and everyone decides that you're finally an adult because mm-hmm. you're you're drowning in a mortgage and you have a kid that you hate. Like, that's when they decide that you're, you know, you're not <laughs> not to call out my mother or anything. But, you know, uh, you know, it's one of those things that it's it's so they leaned into so much that worked to then pull back. And I'm sure that also, again, they had. A ghost director. They had several script revision revi- re- revisers who came in at different points, which is always the issue with film, because at least in theater you have to like stop, redo everything, and start again. Where yep. this, they just went, "Oh, we'll keep editing as we go and figure it out." Mm-hmm. And I think they forgot, kind of somewhere along the way, what they were doing. And how much of this do you think? Because this was. I, at least in my much more limited experience, this felt like a massive, massive departure for Disney. And oh, so the largest you, departure, yeah. How much do you think the studio was like, oh, God, would it, but, 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 you know, was there, was there a fear of what this, what this was, what this was releasing? Yeah, I think so. Well, and they definitely, because they were trying to tap into the young adult market, but they didn't want to have anything because the ratings, ratings were different. I believe PG didn't exist at the time. So you just had to go from like, or it was, it was PG, something. One, PG-13 I, didn't exist. PG-13 didn't exist. Because so I really, was you, a young person. I, I wasn't 13 when, yeah. I was well, just you go for, 13 when that happened. You go from PG to R, so, like, you got to be careful with what content you're putting in. And, you know, when you have something as large as the the Black Hole and Tron that were also coming out about this time, they were working towards Black Cauldron at this point. Mm -hmm. Um which would be end up being their largest flop, you know, they had to be careful about not not even necessarily the qual- the content that you were putting in because the 70s were a very different time. Uh, Deep Throat had already been released at this point, so, you know, that changed film. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think they had to be careful, but they were also willing to take a couple risks because they knew the company was changing. And there were a lot of people at Disney that actually wanted to get rid of the film division altogether um, and just focus on parks. But the issue was your parks become a museum if you don't have new content to update the parks with. And so they 
there was just not, you know, and this was just four years before Michael Eisner, which is the funny thing to think about the separation of the end of the kind of the era of Disney. It's only four years before Michael Eisner comes in and only nine years before Little Mermaid, which it wow. feels it feels so different. But I think it's because now there is such a disconnect between what 1979 feels like 1980 and what 1990 felt like the world itself changed so much in 10 years. And entertainment and media changed as well um, because you had a Saturday morning cartoons changed. Mm-hmm. You had we we were, you know, not fighting a real war, but the Cold War had happened. Mm-hmm. There was the gas crisis. America was not having a good time. America saw its mortality. Mm-hmm. America understood its own poverty. Um, you know, we had people who weren't attending college for the first time in a long time because it wasn't affordable. Um, and community colleges were doing well. So it's one of those things that I I think everyone across the board had to change their approach. And unlike animation, where Disney had all, never really had a competitor, this was something that they were doing that everyone else had already done. They were coming into a formula that worked for other people who weren't them, but having to put that formula into an aspect of the Disney um the Disney idea that worked for them. So, which I, you know, I, uh, I don't know how to explain it. And I don't actually know that much about the, the inner workings of what was happening. Um, because, you know, again, cause it was a dark time and, and it was coming so far from where Walt had left the company, which was fine, yeah. which, you know, which was fine. I mean, cause also if you look at, uh, you know, the other live action films that were happening at this point for Disney, they were, they were still, um, you know, mindless and carefree and, you know, well, wasn't this the year of Herbie and just right on the heels and I'm trying to think of what other ones uh, well, like Candle Shoe was 1977. You had um, one of the, well, Kirby was 1968, I believe, was the first. Yeah, The Love Blug was okay. 1968. Okay. But I believe uh, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo was the third one. Loved it. Um, I do too. Um, was 77 as well. So, like, you're still getting the madcap. Um, um, you're still getting the madcap Disney films of this time. I mean, Apple Dumpling Gang was four years before, but then you also have like um, Escape to Witch Mountain had happened. I was at this just going to say that. Yeah, yes. Escape to Witch Mountain had happened. I believe Return to Witch Mountain had just happened as well. So you already had that feeling, and so they knew this kind of film could work. Um, and, um, yeah, so this idea of a thriller, um, was not that out of the ordinary. And we are still three years before Something Wicked This Way Comes is released in 83. I gotta get which, my hands on that. You just reminded me. Which, oh, it's like $7 on the Disney Movie Club. It's really cheap. It, it, um, but it's not on Disney Plus? It's not on Disney Plus yet. Okay. Someone could should correct me. I guess I could look that up. 
Um, but yeah, Something Wicked This Way Comes would... The novel was released in 62 uh, by Ray Bradbury, and the film would come out in 1983. And I would argue that, that that will be an episode because that is one of the scariest films I have legitimately ever seen. And I think it's why, as an adult, I do not like horror. I think it is that. And like, I grew up um, in front of a TV at a babysitter when Child's Play and the Killer Santa Claus movies were coming out. So, like, they scared the crap out of me as a child, and it is just programmed into me. Um, but I think they took what didn't work in this and made it work in something wicked this way comes, which again is, I think arguably just as large of a, uh, as large of a flop as this one was as well. Um, cause things were just not doing, um, yeah. It, well, it, it, if, if, if my understanding was correct, I felt like, and I, now I'm going back cause I was a kid when that came out. I remember that being marketed to children and yes. seeing it and being just unquestionably terrified and you know that that probably wasn't its audience disney no well pam greer was in it they missed the opportunity for that one for an and you know and diane ladd and jonathan price they missed the opportunity of having it be an adult disney film much like black hole and tron were like You know, they're trying to tap into the the people that see horror and we're seeing Star Wars and, and you know, those kinds of things that, uh, you know, and we talk about that because I think it does directly tie into, like, they saw what did and did not work with Watcher in the Wood and then they took and they, they altered it for, for those movies and they're of this time where like you have to respect any company that's willing to do what they can to survive and stay relevant. And you're going to have some flops like every, there's not been a movie company that has not had like a decade of just absolute drabble. And, you know, you get some good ones in there, Um, you know, because Disney was also still cornering the market and making sure there was music in all of their movies and even in their live actions. And so, and so, you know, there are these things that, like, this is nothing like Candleshoe. This is nothing like Pete's Dragon. Um, oh, I know I love Pete's Dragon, but where is where is that Broadway musical, Disney? Give it Stephanie J. Block as Nora. Make it happen. I kind of love bad movies. I think there's a love for... That's why I have a... I have a project that I'm working on for the fall that you all will get to partake in, but there... Some of the best movies that people love and the most well-loved movies and the movies that make the longevity of their career aren't good movies. Can I throw one in here? You know, yeah, please. One of my all-time favorites, She-Devil. I just watched that last night. It's (laughs) holy. Because let me tell you, before, before... her revitalization. Meryl Streep did some shit, but God, she's so good in that movie. Well, and that's the you know, every even even Roseanne is really right in it. You know, every single oh. person in that movie is killer. Yes, <laughs> they 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 oh, they just they they surround. Oh, it, the story's kind of brilliant. Oh, and yeah. you know just the way it was handled and that freaking cast and I I watched it it's it's a little while ago now though I watched it when Sylvia Miles passed away because oh, yeah. I so loved her in that she was just mm-hmm. so 
in your face and delicious. But but then you get people in it like Linda Hunt and Mary Louise Wilson, who yeah. are these theater gods. And mm-hmm. you know, oh my God, it's it's just that's that's a wonderful piece of it's bizarre. it's so good. Well, and a lot of you know a lot of those kind of cringeworthy movies come from like. 78 to 98 that like it is the peak of you know terrible movies that like are still lovable and watchable despite their problems where now the crap is just crap and the good is really good yeah but some of the some of the middle stuff is only good because the crap is so crap Uh (laughs) i'm gonna gonna pin that the crap is so crap um and like so it uh, I love Disney live action films. And so it is nice to see that they did try something with this um, and why it doesn't didn't succeed. Though, to me, they love they love a live action remake. Now they love Disney loves kind of keeping the properties, which is why it surprised me that they didn't try to like produce or have some control in the 2017 remake with, with Angela, Angelica Houston. And quite frankly, I think that Disney has, I think they have more of a, more cachet in this market. Now they have more freedom Mm -hmm. now because they have really, they, they have diversified. I mean, the Mandalorian, I'm I watched it. I loved it. And I'm like, y'all are, you're on point with this, by the way, um, for the listeners, if you don't follow, uh, Maddie on, on social media, you're wrong. Um, you're, I was waiting for your post of you and the child various places together. And I was so rewarded in the wait when you, when he finally came home to you and yeah, you, yeah. yes. For that. I yeah, yeah. For anyone, yeah, we are we are in the week after the first uh, uh, shipment of the Shop Disney Child plush from the Mandalorian uh, happened, and of course, I live so close to Disney property that that the Green Bean came to uh, came to play with us this weekend at Hollywood Studios and met Chewbacca and hid in the trees and had some chicken nuggies and uh, yeah. So that will be happening. You all should follow us on social media. Um, feel free to friend me on Facebook for no other reason than those pictures or what's going to happen, especially when the larger Build-A-Bear plush comes out. Uh, there is a papoose that is being built so I can wear it oh around. So, you know, Disney keeps making these remakes, and I honestly was hoping they would remake this one. Um, thank, you, th- thank you for bringing that back. Well done. I would, Yeah, you're good. I would honestly have loved to see them do the remake, but, but now because there was a made-for-TV lifetime, it's probably going to be forever before we'll ever get one. We don't need one, I don't know. Um, but what they I don't know. have done with it, with their financial resources and with, you know, the Imagineering and, and everything they have at their disposal, I think they could have really... I think they could have, have streamlined it. I think they could have solved a lot of the, 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 the issues on what is this yeah. film. They, you know, Angelica Houston, maybe she, maybe she was the Mrs. Aylesworth and she would have been the right one for it. Um, yeah. But who knows where they could have taken it. They have such, and, and thank you for your, um, your episode on, on the, haunted, the Haunted Mansion ride and, mm-hmm. and film and all. That was, that was out of this world, by the way. I love that episode. Thanks. Um, but you know, could they have could they have transported it? Does it does it you know, mm-hmm. I think we talked about this last time. Did it need to be the English countryside, manor house, drama? Right. Could it have could it have become, you know, uh, a United States story and you know 
could we have explored beyond and 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 found like dare I say maybe Cicely Tyson as Mrs. Aylesworth or you know <gasps> gone gone beyond yeah. the, the yeah. novel which you yeah. know is 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 it great as it is yes but you know my feelings on Shakespeare and how I feel about the mm-hmm. new company in Oklahoma and so is is there more story to tell mm-hmm. that that goes beyond how how we originally approached it yeah yeah I agree with you there um yeah cuz to me this seems like a very specifically california story too like i because or put it in new england anywhere to me um, so I went to undergrad in New Paltz, New York, which is in the Hudson Valley, mm-hmm. which is known as a supernatural hotbed, especially for anybody who's interested in um, the Native American co- uh, connection to aliens um, and like lighthouses for supernatural beings and those kinds of things. Like, I also could see this working in Connecticut or Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um because that's where creepy shit always happens. Maine, mm-hmm. Canada, something. Well, the Stephen um, King connection to Maine alone, you know, right there. Boom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bring well, him and in for even a yeah. I um, well, and even Northern California. If you took it up into Portland, Seattle area. Well, not for nothing, but as I, I mentioned this earlier, because I see there are there are parallels. I think mm-hmm. I'm sure there are Twin Peaks fans out there who would slap me for it, but there are enough parallels that what if you said it in the Pacific Northwest, you know, even further yeah. up into Washington state, mm-hmm. you know, the, how, how beautiful that was to film and, and how not, I don't even want to say creepy, but just how the, the, the vastness of it. Cause like setting it in a logging town that is no longer a logging town because of environmental laws mm-hmm. and like have, um, you know, um, the family be some sort of political connection and maybe that's why they're coming there. They're coming there to run a new company, something, something big, because it makes, it's still weird to me that like an American family, now understanding, understanding the socio-political and economic aspects of the time, having an American family move to London or move to England for work seems weird. I'm sure maybe some of our listeners that happened, um, Maybe more for our Australian listeners. I'm not sure. Um, but, like, it's, it seems like something that we, you know, you don't need to take it to England because of the cost of filming there. Or you can, you could have probably filmed this in the actual Disney backlot in Anaheim and it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, there are things that you could do that could actually make this a really cool movie. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they did the race to Witch Mountain, which is the the third in the 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 Witch Mountain trilogy, and it it had the tone, but to me, it wasn't as like suspenseful and scary as the original ones, which were really really fantastic. And so I think that there was, oh no no I know what you're talking with the Rock yeah yeah the Rock Anna Sophia Rob yeah um, and so I didn't you know see but it's it, but there was a lot of oh bless your hearts during trailers yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's one of those, it's how do you make a third movie in a trilogy 30 years after the original? Especially that was when Disney was making The Sorcerer's Apprentice. They were making National Treasure 1 and 2. Now, um, now, 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 hold on there. Hold on there. I, I love National Sorcerer's Treasure. Of, oh, thank God. I love National Treasure. I and Sorcerer's Apprentice. All the Sorcerer's time. Apprentice is a, a cringeworthy movie that's actually really interesting, but outside of the aspects of Disney, it just didn't kind of work because, yeah. you know, they needed Jan Sid, they needed Mickey. There were those things that, like, we could have actually had a Mickey feature film that could have been really cool, mm-hmm. or 
maybe someone that got turned into Mickey. That could have been cool. Got turned into a mouse. Could have been interesting. I don't know. Yeah, there are ways that they could have done Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, And full disclosure, I love Nicolas Cage. Oh. (laughs) Because the thing I love about Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage is in on the joke. That's that's the best thing. He's like Keanu Reeves. He's in on the joke. Like that's and I, that's why I love that we're getting National Treasure three. I think it's wonderful. Excuse Did you not know? Did you? They announced it like three months ago. Wait a minute. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're getting a National is Treasure a, three. Is it, are you? Is that a, that's really really officially true? Really really. Same cast. Same cast. Diane everything. Kruger's yeah. Coming back to and oh and my little that they have a Justin Bartha. Yeah. Can we talk? Uh. Can we talk? Disney. Why hasn't Justin Bartha been a Disney prince or like Disney male like in an animated yet? Why isn't Justin like, Bartha up? Also, why hasn't Justin Bartha been in a Marvel movie yet? Why isn't Justin Bartha, like, hanging out with me? He hasn't been doing the much recently. The new normal. The new normal, mm-hmm. which he was in... Oh, God, that's a long time ago. Wow. 2012, yeah. Yowza. I he forgot was, about that. He was in that with... with um, um, Andrew Reynolds. Thank you. That's the name I could not come up with. And NeNe Leakes. Oh! That might have been their problem. Oh, no, I love NeNe Leakes. Sorry, I'm thinking of... Um, Oh, no, I'm thinking of NeNe Leakes. Yeah, maybe that was their problem. Um, Ellen Barkin, I forgot she was in that. If it's gay, Ellen Barkin's in it. I love um, her. She's so good. Yeah, again, this is, again, rubbing it back in. These are just things that, like, we could go back to. Because also think about, like, that great, there are so many wonderful actors that are that 40 to 50 range, 40 to 60 range, who could be the three friends. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I mean, there are so many women. And, again... I always want to talk about what we can do better, which, you know, goes into how this stacks up in 2020. You know, I get why in the 1970s in a British countryside, it was an all-white cast. That I understand. But I think we're at a point where this could be a completely diverse movie. It's like having the family in Haunted Mansion be black or, you know, going with Asian American just because it, um, it doesn't that's not what's important about this. Mm -hmm. So, like, let's Cinderella this shit up where you just cast who's the best and you put a family together. Like, it doesn't even have to be... Like, what if it was gay parents, which would make a ton of sense if he's... You know, moving, moving to, you know, uh, you know, somewhere for political reasons or, you know, something. It's, you know, there are so many amazing women of color that we could have play Mrs. Amesworth. You've got Felicia Rashad. You've got Cicely Tyson. You've got. Sorry. I love her. Sorry. Um, I do, too. I mean, you have so many, you have so many amazing older Asian American actresses that would be brilliant in these roles. But, but now, now um, hear me out for keeping it in the English countryside, because I, I want to do one little yeah. swap. So, so what if we, what if, what if we cast, what if we reverse, like swap the genders of the friends and we cast, oh, yeah. and we cast Jennifer Saunders as, as Keller, because she can do that. Oh yeah, and we cast Don French as Tom Colley, and we get Adrian Edmondson because I, I, I we don't see this this ma- wonderful married, brilliantly talented couple. Together. Yeah, and we cast him as the the Mary Fleming character. So like yes. the father now, you know. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If it's going to be in England, can we put some of my favorite English human beings in it? Of course, why and, not? And then, yeah. and then, you know, for for shits and giggles, let's get let's get um, oh oh, oh why can't I? I cannot think of her name. Um, but I just had a great idea. If we're going to keep it in England, Charlotte Rampling. Oh, as Mrs. Aylesworth. 
Yes. Yes. Right? That'd I mean, be so good. Well, and my question is, does it even have to be an American act, American family? Like, can't it just be, can it just be a, can it be a British family that's staying? It and then it wouldn't then make family, sense. And, and with the Commonwealth, you know, being what it is, you know, it's, let's, let's say you set it in the seventies again. And, you yeah. know, the Commonwealth still being, you know, very much in play. Why could not it be a family from Hong Kong or from India or and from India? I was just oh, going to say well, that as well. Yeah. But I guess, I, I get Jan has to look just Jan like Jan has to look like, well, I mean, why? Okay, so what if the Amesworths moved to that town when Jan was a child? Yeah. Yes. And they were immigrants in the, just after World War One or World War Two. Mm-hmm. So, like, what if they emigrated to England? They're the only family of color in in the, the village. in the village at that time, and then so when we see the modern village, when we see the modern village, because like, what if honestly, what if there's been an even bigger time gap? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing is, what if Mrs. Amesworth was a uh, a like an eighteen or nineteen year old mother, twenty year old mother, which would have been very normal during that time. Um, well, and so make her a little bit, make her in her thirties, which would then, even if you do it, you know, 30 or 40 years later, that puts her in her, cause she could be 80 about, cause Betty Davis was, she died like four years later. Yeah. So, so like, that's the thing is you could have this woman be in her eighties, try so, and she's only stayed there to reclaim, you know, to, to keep the legacy of her daughter yeah. alive. But like. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you could then have, again, anyone playing the Amesworths. Yeah. Um, Because what if he, what if Mr. Amesworth was was white, which is why the name Amesworth is there. was a war bride, if you will. Was a war bride, yep. So they could, ooh, because what if it's an Asian American family Mm -hmm. then, if we want to do that, if he comes back from the, see, there's just so much we could do that, again, that also doesn't victimize the legacy of white people we're coming, but then we can diversify that cast. There's, there's, there's ways. There's so many yeah. ways. Oh, my God. Well, and again, we don't even need to keep them Amesworth. Like, we can change the name. Names are just on, and yes. they're just ink on paper. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, you know, because um, then there's, you know, who would be, oh, God, what's her name? Um, who would actually be, you know, because the Amesworth, I would also love to see the parents, um, the parents have a better story and not just be Thank 19, you. not just be 1970s, um, not be 1970s, um, uh, you know, archetypes of, of parent. Yeah. Well, because yeah. dad's this hugely successful composer, mom's a children's yeah. book author, and that's all you ever know. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, I would love to see Mira Seal as the mother. <gasps> like, if we're going with, like, an Indian-American... Like, if we're going with, a, like, a, an Indian family, like, I love her. Did I tell you I saw her when she was Miss Hannigan and Annie on the West End? She would have been my second choice. You she know went my right, first choice was. Well, she was right after Miranda. <gasps> she replaced Miranda Hart, which is why I went to see it. Because I bought tickets when Miranda Hart was still on the show, okay. thinking she would be in at Christmas time, but Mira Seal was in it. Again, she's not a great singer, but I didn't give a shit. Do you know like, who I Like, she was so good. Is? Who? Wanda Sykes. 
Really? She was phenomenal. And she was Hannigan? She was phenomenal. Brilliant. Just nailed every moment. I, mean, I feel like it, because the, the humor is in her. It's in her tone. Tonally, it's in her. Because, like, I never knew who Mira Seal was until the show Beautiful People came out about Simon Doonan okay. in, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Um, and so she plays the aunt in that, and she plays the blind aunt, and she is, God, she's funny. Um, but she, it's, that's, and she, anytime I can put her in something, I want to put her in something. Well, that, and what I would not have given to have seen her, um, uh, Dottie in the Noises Off oh. that just ran. Hell yeah. I mean, oh yeah. That, that cast alone was, uh, just uh, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That that was one of those things I would have fly flown over there for. I mean, her and Sarah Hadlin together. I'm done. Oh yes. We're, we're oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, and so you know, we've talked about what's good and what's bad. I do think this is one that I would almost. You know what? This could also work for as a limited miniseries too. Do a three or four episode miniseries hey. and really delve into hello. Delve into Netflix, it. Disney Plus. Disney hello. Plus, hello. Whomever. Disney Plus. Please. Knock, knock, knock. Please, Disney Plus. Please. Plus, we're here. Hello. We're available Hire to me. cast. We will. We, we will come in. Mm-hmm. We will do it all. You fly our, us our, over there. We'll... Right? Our day rate is really affordable right now. I'm going to let you negotiate um, this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we... Bu- hey. As of May, we'll both have those three little letters behind our names, so it'll be okay. It'll be, well, we're, we're masters of something, I'm told. Oh, well, <laughs> my dear. I believe it with you. With me, I'm still like, ah, oh, this is fun. Let's see if I can get out before they realize. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, it's one of those things that this movie isn't all bad. And I I encourage everyone to get your friends to to when the podcast is over, grab your friends, grab some snacks, get some drinks, and watch the movie. It is it's honestly a great time, but you do have to make sure that you go on YouTube because the version that is on Disney Plus, I believe, is the final theatrical version. So what you will want to do is you want to go on YouTube and watch both of the other finales yes. of the movie. I think that's um, you know, and I think I, I, I have this question from before I want us to answer again. Why do you think Disney, they've released things with horror elements, like Pirates of the Caribbean. The first time you see them as skeletons, it is chilling. Mm-hmm. It is very scary. And in a, in a time where, like Mulan, the, uh, the live-action remake that's about to re- be released is a PG-13 rating because we are getting an actual genre film. I'm very, very excited for that. But my thing is... Is it going to be what? No, it's not a musical. It is. It is like it is a martial arts Chinese. It's. It is. It is. It has been written like a Beijing opera in a heightened drama style. Cool. But it is. It. It is a. I don't want to say kung fu. It is a martial arts, um, like war film. Is what this is. There's no music. Mushu's not in it. Li Shang is not in it. Um, she has a different. But there is magical realism because there is a sorceress that is helping the Huns. Okay. Um, that she shapeshifts into animals and she is a woman. So is their way of adding another strong female lead. Um, but yeah, I think now that like we have Disney, doesn't mind putting out PG 13 films. Why do you think they are afraid of this like live action horror suspense thriller 
genre. Like, they put elements of it in every film. Like, there was a lot of it in Wrinkle in Time and the second Alice in Wonderland live-action film. There were there were aspects of thriller in those, and while those are not successful, Disney has I liked Wrinkle shied away. It was fine. I don't like the source material particularly. Okay. So, so it, going in, I was. I thought the cast was great. I thought the costume, the costume and production design were stunning. Um, I'll watch Oprah and anything. Frankly, I don't care. Well, Oprah, um, Reese Witherspoon, and Mindy Kaling are three of I think on screen three of the most likable people of all time. Oh yes. And then the the, the young actors that they hired. I. <sighs> I mean, come on. Uh, they, I thought they were all really, really strong. The little girl Storm. I'm hoping that they put her in. Um, I believe that's her name, Storm Stormy. That sounds right. I hope she finds a way into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because okay. she's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love. I'm a big Marvel fan, so I like the idea of bringing in actors who are very capable of telling stories that are more than just an action film. Um, which is like why it was important that Kate Blanchett was the villain in one Marvel movie and why Tom Hiddleston continues to be Loki. Um, <laughs> and you know, Tessa Thompson is such a great Valkyrie. Um, and the, the fact that they let Chris Hemsworth just be funny and not just sexy. Like he's like, there are things that like there, I've cared about Marvel stories my whole life. And so I really want to see them on screen in a way that I care about them. And so I don't understand why, like we're going to get a horror Marvel film, why can't we get more things that are these heavy suspense? No, I mean, I love a thriller. I like a thriller way more than I like a horror film, but I don't understand why Disney seems so scared, because really the only two horror films we've gotten from Disney are Something Wicked This Way Comes and Watcher in the Wood. Yeah. And I... There's so much that they could be drawing upon, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, because uh, like the horror, we're at a point where Jordan Peele is elevating the horror genre again. But you've got like Bloomhouse now. While he's making these with Bloomhouse, you've got like Eric Bloom from Bloomhouse, who is literally making Lois Common denominator horror again. And you know, it's one of those things that I really think, like, hear me out. Like a Jordan Peele helmed Watcher in the Wood could be really, really fucking cool. Yeah. Because he gets that tonal storytelling that is terrifying. Because it's like, get out. Most of the scary stuff in Get Out are those moments of helplessness and the, the moments of being watched and the moment where you can you get clued in that the character knows more than is happening. Um, you know, they, they're just these things that this movie could be a, an amazing thriller. Like, it doesn't even have to be horror, mm-hmm. but it can be a thriller, and we get a non-specific moment at the end, you know, that... But I think the non-specificity is where the movie goes I'll tell you what, I, blurry. I'm stupid excited for his Candyman. <gasps> Me too. I don't even... I, I watched the trailer, and I went, wow, uh, a man in a bee suit is something that has always scared me, but our um, bees in a man suit. Let me rephrase. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm oddly excited to see that, and, like, I was oddly excited for us. Um, and Get Out was so good, so I was just like, you know what? And I love his for, you know, this is pimping something non-Disney, but his Twilight Zone on, on CBS Direct is really good. Like, he... Gets the genre. Oh, it's so good. And that will be one that I'm getting again when Picard ends so that I can marathon through Picard. Now, you know, this is something I ask all of our guests. And content-wise, how do we think this kind of stacks up in 2020? 
Um, there's always something a little problematic, and there's always space in the Disney pantheon for, you know, there have been issues. But I honestly, because when you said something in the English countryside pre-technology, there is this, like, otherness to it. There's this magical other realm. And other than some, like, the dad being shitty, like, just being a shitty dude, like, being a dad in the 70s, I don't see that there's anything really problematic in this film. Because it's a female-led film. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I would like Jan to have more agency for herself, but I think that's just a storytelling thing. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that's a, that it was written poorly. I think that was also just the actress, but, um, you know, other than diversity, I think this movie hacks up really well. Yeah. I think it's great. And, you know, I think there are a thousand ways they could go with casting if they wanted to redo it. But I think this is one of those that like... I love Disney Plus for that reason that we're going to have people watching things that they've never watched before because it's there and because they've watched through everything they love. And so this is one of those movies that when it pops up, I really encourage people to go explore because also the movies that are going to be connected to it that are suggested for you are so good. Like if you haven't watched the the first two uh, Witch Mountain movies, go watch them. They are chilling. They're thrilling. They're wonderful. And so, you know, it's one of those things that I think you know, I encourage everyone to watch Black Hole, watch Tron, and when it comes on Disney Plus, watch something Wicked This Way Comes. You should add that to your Halloween rotation. It is legitimately terrifying. Um, you know, I think, I think you know, there's a thousand ways that this movie could go, and I want it. I want it to stay in the lexicon. I want it to stay in the forefront of, you know, also realizing that like people tend to equate the best parts of Disney with the Renaissance. And that's honestly not where some of the best Disney movies are. And, you know, they were doing really wonderful, creditable work that before they were making millions of dollars per film. Like most movies in the seventies tanked in the live action stuff. I mean, Aristocats made enough to make up for it because uh, this will be on the Aristocats episode when it's already aired. Um, but yeah, like in today's money, they made a hundred, they made like $1.4 billion on Aristocats in today's money in box office. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. It seems unreal. So it's one of those things that like they were still understanding how to make movies and like Robin Hood made a shit ton of money. But like, you know, there are those things that like I don't understand how they weren't able to make that work in live action, like in their live action realm. Now, granted, the formula is very different and Disney and Pixar have a formula. It's what makes them great. But it also what makes some of their movies a little bit predictable. Um, But, you know, it's it's a. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that I think this movie deserves better than it's gotten. But I think that also goes back to, like, they needed to have casted a better actress as Jan. Because everybody else does their work beautifully. Yeah. And it's just, she, she to me, she and the ending are the only super, super weak parts and, in and the like story. And I really tried. It's, it was, she tried. You know, she absolutely tried. But it's, it's also one of those things that, like, when you... When you bring someone, you know, it's every time they go, oh, we're introducing this new star in a Broadway show. They're so talented. And it's like, yes, they're talented. Sure. But like when you're throwing them up against someone that's got 20 years, 20 to 50 years, because like we got to keep in mind, Betty Davis came up in in silent film. Yes. Like she got her break when silent. Well, just after silent film. But like she grew up watching those actors. Well, this was released. This was released to celebrate her. 
60, 75th year in the business or something. It coincided yes. with a major, major anniversary of her career. Yeah. So, like, literally, that means her first major industry thing was in 1905. Like... Let me double check. Come on. Like, you know, it's one of those things that when... You know, you've got this. The, even even if she wasn't in silent film, she watched silent film. She understood that art form, uh -huh. which is why she's so good at all of the nonverbal. Like you can, she can, with one look, she can break your heart. That's let what, me, you let, know what I thought let about me, that let quote me, earlier. Let me borrow from Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just. Uh, it's it's just so lovely, and I love it so much. And so I encourage everyone, if you want a good uh, good movie this weekend, you want something that's a little cringeworthy, go pop this on Disney Plus and enjoy. Uh, what? Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Go was, ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. It was her 85th theatrical feature film, but yeah. uh, marked her 50th anniversary in the motion picture business. But that still means that her first film was in 1930. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. Like, I mean... I mean, you know, we could. I could sit here and talk about her. I mean, her relationship with Adrian, the costume designer, alone, like, <laughs> and how how beautifully she was always dressed. I mean, the women. I could talk about the women forever. Um, you know, there's just her entire all about Eve. Her entire career mm -hmm. is just amazing. Sidebar: They did a. Do you know who Gene London is? He was a children's television program host in the Philadelphia area when my parents were kids. So we went to see a few months. He just recently passed away. But he owned a massive collection of Hollywood golden era costumes. And they did a beautifully curated show at the Allentown Art Museum. And so mom, dad, Vince, and I went to see him talk for an hour. And he was unbelievably charming but then upstairs one of the pieces that they had was uh davis's elizabeth gown from uh, elizabeth in essex oh and a maureen o'hara gown i mean like just you know there was some ann miller there like you uh, oh god why can't they her name from san francisco uh san, oh anyway just just fabulous fabulous costumes all over but but her i, her I love that out of this world and he you know oh. i don't know what's going to happen to him now that he's passed but I sincerely hope that something good comes of them because it's an extremely yeah. collection. I never heard of him, but just looking at him, he was very handsome. He was he a very handsome man. Charming, just you know. My parents, Vince and I, didn't wait in line. My parents wanted to meet him and get a photo because they grew up with him. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. so they waited, but they just said he was so lovely. He, honest to God, uh, within the month, last month or so, passed away. Oh no. Yeah. Oh well, that's uh, yeah, but that's. I, just, oh, I love this movie. I like. I honestly, I will stand this movie as the kids say. I stand it. I will. I will encourage people. I would love. Stand. They're a fan. You stand something. It oh. means you are here. You stand it. You're. You're. You. You stand by it. You're a fan who stands by. You're a stand. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, we just got on TikTok. Everyone follow Go Weapon Dreams on TikTok. We're being like the cool kids. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't know, being in your 30s is weird. Um, uh, but yeah, no, this movie, it stands up, it stands. I would love to see them remake this movie. I would love to see it as a miniseries. Just something would be really nice. Because, you know, we're at the point where we're, rem we're remaking the Lord of the Rings movies, and they were not even 20 years ago. So let's go ahead and 
remake this even though it just had a remake in 2017. Let's do it. Can I say something controversial? Please. Hands off those films. Don't touch them. They're doing a mini series to involve more more aspects. Yeah, I don't think they need to. Yeah, I, I agree with you there that they are fine. I think they're absolutely wonderful. No, as someone who did not read the books, okay, did not read the books. Um, but it's it's uh, as a teenager with ADHD who did not know they had ADHD. Mm. Uh, uh, reading uh, 42 pages about the rolling hills of Rohan did not really get my brain running. Um, the Animorph books did a little more than that. <laughs> did. Well, but, um, I get that. But, uh, I just, I, but yeah, I love, so what, I think, I love what you do with the films. Yeah, I think this... I think this... I, I would love to speak with Diane Lane and figure out why she turned this movie down. I think it was a scheduling conflict. It might have been... Um, God, she's been acting forever. Can you believe that? Because she's still fifteen in my mind. Like she's yeah. she is a she's twenty years younger than I am. I, I mean, she's only fifty five. Like, I mean, she is, but she's she is she has always been part of my my like lexicon of film. Yes. Like, she's always um, she's always there. Lovely Martha Kent. She was lovely in the House of Cards. She's. I just, you know, it's, well, she's not for nothing. She's but just so good. Can can you call it a renaissance of her on on the big stage when she did um, Under the Tuscan Sun? Oh yeah, like uh, oh, I mean, yeah. hi, and and yeah. thank God for that for introducing my myself to Sandra Oh. Yeah. Who, oh, I thank mean, God! I love Sandra Oh. I love her. We uh, we binged the first two seasons of Killing Eve not not too long ago. I hear it's wonderful. It's on my list. To, it's on my list to watch. Guess who's going to be in season three? Who? Harriet Walter. <gasps> Queen of Queens! <laughs> uh, I still need my Mary Stewart movie with her and Janet McTeer. Where is it? No one will watch it but you and I, but it will be lovely. Who cares? Actually, all of Britain will watch it. Yes. She is. They are both national yes. treasures. Yes. National and, treasures. And to the readers, if you haven't read other people's shoes and you care anything for the art of acting, read it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Really. Well, because I was even surprised when I saw Janet McTeer. She was the villain on the second season of Jessica Jones I did, on Netflix. I did not watch, but I heard, and... It's, it's, it's not my favorite Janet McTeer thing, but, okay. like, I could watch her... I could watch her do anything. She plays a psychotic woman with super strength. Like, I am here for it. You know what? You put her, you put her in a black suit and a pair of nice heels on a stool on an empty stage, and she could... She, she could tell, like, teach me calculus, and I would be wrapped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love. I would love for her. You know what? I would love for her and Harriet Walter to do together is an in-depth docudrama mini, like documentary miniseries on the Tudors, like just the Tudor family, and just have them narrate the whole thing. I think it'd be lovely. Are you a Lucy them... Worsley fan? Um, Doctor Lucy Worsley. I do not know her. She might be my patron saint, I'm just saying. Oh, oh, yes, I know who she is. Yes, 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 yes. Now that I've seen her her yes. face. Yes. Yes, I'm a big, I'm a big. Oh. You know, do you know, apparently, Janet McTeer was up for the role of Lilith on The Chilling, uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina for Netflix and did not... 
But we got Michelle Gomez, who is another, another, another icon. I want to see her play Lady M and Richard III so bad. I want to see her play Richard because she's so conniving and so lovely. I need more of her on Doctor Who. I I just, I need more. I'm so happy the world knows who she is now because she's just so brilliant. She's so wonderful. what is what is the TV show that she did? Um, I, I want to say a name, but I'm gonna say I'm, I'm afraid it's wrong. But it's a it's a it's a sitcom about a hospital. Uh, I want I believe it's called Green Wing. Yep, Green Wing. And the, the, I mean the rest of the cast is out of this world, but she is brilliant in it. Again, terrifying. Mm. And then uh, 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 and the other one that she showed up in that I love is, hold on, Bad Education. Oh, I love Bad Education. Thank you. I love Bad Education. The only reason I was okay with her leaving was because Sam Spiro showed up. Oh, yes. So, and you know know how I feel about Ms. Spiro and why she doesn't have a freaking, well, my other crush, Harry Enfield, but that's another story for another time. Oh, and my little my little crush Jack Whitefield is on Whitehall is on. Isn't he one? Have you watched Travels with My Father? Not yet, Ooh. not yet. But to, well, to bring it back to Disney, yeah. he's in the Jungle Cruise movie opposite Emily Blunt. He's what? Emily Blunt's brother. He's her foppish gay brother that goes on the expedition with her in the Rock. Now, while I know how I feel about a straight white dude playing a foppish foppish uh, Victorian twink, here we go. It's fine. He's lovely. He was great in Good Omens. Stan Good Omens. Oh. A th- uh, an amazing British. An amazing British. Um, oh, that's who would be. Oh, he's a little young. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, maybe. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 Michael Sheen as one of the friends as well. You could also put David Tennant in there. But, you know, David Tennant's an awful busy man. Yes. So. And rightfully yeah. so. Rightfully so, he's so good. Yeah. There's nothing he can't do. His, his Richard II, I, I, I mean, wow. Yeah. Because we, we, you know, I, I own the film that they did at the, at, 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 uh, at Stratford, and then when it came over uh, to BAM, um, my friend Catherine and I went up to see it, and he is, I, I, w- I would love to see him do more Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Please. Oh, yeah. Well, Jared, it's always fun. To just from to just Ugh. go on tangents with you. I love you so much. And I thank you for coming. You think I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Of thank course. You. Thank you for coming on today. Is there anything coming up that you want to tell the audience about? You just had a wonderful run of State Fair yeah. at the school you teach at. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're in you're in a show this summer. If people want to come see you in a show, Two. can you say that? Two, Two shows. Yeah. So where where and where can they uh, find tickets at? It is uh, Northampton Community College Summer Theater. Northampton Summer Theater. And um, the website, uh, oh dear, um, why can't I? We'll put, we'll put it in the oh, show notes. We'll, we'll find but that yeah, there for I, them. I get to do Andrews and Titanic, which I, I love, and I'm getting to play the Reverend in Footloose. So. And, and that's just fun. That'll yes, just be fun. Yes. That'll just be so much fun. Yeah. And that's in Northampton, Pennsylvania? Uh, Bethlehem Township, just, just north of Bethlehem in the Lehigh Great. Valley, Pennsylvania. And uh, super excited to do that. 
Yeah, come hang out with Jared and I this summer in the Lehigh Yay. Valley. Or if you're in the Lehigh Valley, you know, we'll, uh, I'll be there. He'll be there. Yeah. It'll be good. <laughs> well, thanks again so much for being on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Did you know Rob Thomas has been writing since the mid-90s? The Matchbox 20 guy? No, the guy behind Veronica Mars. Oh, and iZombie. And Cupid, Party Down, the Cupid reboot. I haven't seen those. Me neither, but we should watch them and then talk about them on our podcast. Yes, we could call it the Rob Thomas. No, not that one. Robcast. Every other Tuesday with Alex and MJ. Find us at notthatrobcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. Thank you for joining us for another serving of the Dole Whip and Dreams podcast. We are now part of the Certain Point of View Media Network. Find out more about our show and all the amazing shows at that network at certainpov.com, where you can find a link to the Discord server for all of our shows and where you can talk to myself and other dreamers like you. We are so pleased to finally announce that we have a shop of magical wares and dreamy items via Teespring, including some great seasonal items that are only available until June. Find the link on our Facebook, Instagram, or in the show notes below. If you use the code DOLWHIP, D-O-L-W-H-I-P, you get free shipping on all orders. Again, that's code DOLWHIP. Find us on Facebook at Dole Whip and Dreams Podcast, on Instagram at Dole Whip and Dreams, Twitter at Dole Whip Pod, and you can help support us for only $2 a month on Patreon at Dole Whip and Dreams Pod. And with that Patreon for only $2 a month, you also get an exclusive savings code for our online store. Thank you, as always, to our amazing research assistant, Angela Gwen, and our sound editor, David White. We could not do the show without you. We'll see you next time, and may your days be filled with Dole Whip and dreams.